welcome to Media MD, your fortnightly Doof Network dose of media that you have somehow missed. I'm Ruben Morehouse. I'm Elliot Diebold. And we are back this fortnight and joined by our very special guest again, Matt Freeman from many Doof Media podcasts. Welcome back, Matt. Oh, thanks. Thanks. Hi, everybody. Um, so you prescribed us the Magnus Archives a fortnight ago, and we're back to talk more about it. Yeah. That's right. Just season one. I mean, I would have loved to prescribe you 160 episodes of a, of a podcast, um, uh. but that, even I am not um, that ambitious. So, season one is 40 episodes. They're each, what, 25 to 30 minutes long. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I started listening about a week and a half before we were set to record, and I finished season one in about four days. <laughs> so I had about half a week where I was kind of like, I really want to listen to more, but I'm just going to hold back for this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just speaking for myself, uh, I I binged this so unhealthily hard, um, yeah. and I just went all the way through to the end. Uh, so yeah, I understand. I um I I kind of did what like I I had about two periods of like three days each where I went through about twenty episodes each time like I did three days got through twenty episodes took a, a couple of days off and then got back into it and um yeah I mean I think this is one of those things I reckon we'll have to come and revisit it in yeah in like a couple of months when we can get through the other one hundred and twenty episodes and in fact in the in the season one Q and A I think Jonathan mentioned he's only planning for five seasons so. I reckon by the time we're catching up, it'll probably start to be rounding out even. Mm. So I, I reckon we'll want to come back for that. Do a full yeah. retrospective. Possible, yeah. I think the the next the final season comes out in April, I believe. So that'd be good. Ooh, okay. Let's let's say what it is, I guess, for those who didn't catch the prescription. <laughs> yes. Um The Magnus Archives is a, a horror anthology podcast, uh, with the premise being that the narrator uh whose name I've forgotten, Jonathan Sims, that's it, okay. The narrator... It's played by Jonathan Sims. Played <laughs> yes. by Jonathan Sims, yeah. uh, The narrator is the archivist of a kind of paranormal investigation slash research uh, agency, um, and he is basically uh, digitizing some of their old case files, recording them uh, onto audio, uh, so he basically just reads off statements of people who had supernatural or unexplained experiences. Um, and over the course of season one, uh, you start, first off, you think that these are just almost all standalone, uh, isolated experiences, but you start noticing, uh, I guess, coincidences at first that then solidify into connections <laughs> uh, until you kind of get a bit of a plot that starts to form towards the second half of season one, and then it kind of comes to a head. Yeah, there's um there's like links that start to appear between the stories that get more and more tangible as the series goes on. Like what yeah. I really liked is how the first links you can kind of make a very abstract uh or or you know, just sort of people who share similar ish names and you're like, Oh, maybe they're related and then sort of by the end you're actually starting to pick like, Oh, this sounds like it's related to the stuff that happened in this other episode. Uh, and it feels like a really nice escalation throughout the series, the the season for that. Mm. Yeah. So, um, for, for one thing, it's going to be hard for me to talk in much detail because having having listened to all of it, um, this this is one thing where like it's literally impossible for me to keep track of like what is revealed where and when. <laughs> yes, um, that's so I'm, a so I'm not even going to try to do that. Um, but I will I will say in a meta sense, like the the idea of doing a like an it, it is kind of like. I guess it's an anthology, but also it's an anthology where all of these 
seemingly discrete one-offs are actually connected. And you do begin to understand that there's this fabric of, of oh, this, this character showed up in this story? Wait, wait, I recognize that name. Um, mm. and, and it could like it could have very well just been an anthology of, of unconnected horror stories where this, antho- this, this archivist is just reading them and, and getting spooked. But, but that's not what it is, right? It, it, it becomes much more, the, the characters become much more involved in, um, in you know, the, the horror of what's happening in the world. Yes. Yeah, well, to, to stay with the larger narrative for, for a bit longer as well, like I think part of why that works as well is because it's established, I think, in the uh, right, right at the start of the very first episode that uh, the, ep- like, the statements and stories that are being dictated through this audio recorder they're the ones that he couldn't get to work like digitally or, or any other way. So they're the ones that distort um, through digital means, which kind of immediately hints to you that these are the ones that have something special to them. Uh, and, that, and that sort of helps guide you through this idea that, you know, they're all real and they're all connected. Um, and then, he, yeah, like I, I, I just really like the way everything sort of unfolds and evolves as, as it just goes on. Mm-hmm. It, it's been fun watching people in the, in the Discord channel get super into the theory crafting and, and putting things together because I think what's actually kind of cool about this is that that's not how I engaged with this at all. I I, I think I missed 90% of, of what is there to be, you know, uh, you know, gotten by a clever person. And I still enjoyed it so much because every episode is so well written. Um, there's some really great like emotional moments. There's, there's some just really creepy ideas that really stick with you. Um, I don't like. I don't think it scared me that much, but it it definitely created some like images and scenarios where I was just like, man, that's 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 creepy, that's messed up, and and I appreciate the originality, and I'm definitely going to click play on the next one immediately. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's worth talking about the idea of this being a scary show, right? Because horror is something that's so interesting in that, especially for a a podcast which is only an audio medium. Uh, your experience listening to it will vary greatly based on whether you're listening to it on the walk to work or listening to it in your bed late at night, both of which I did. Mm-hmm. And I can say in yes. your bed late at night, uh, it's a really spooky experience. <laughs> um, Especially I, I'm, I'm at home alone at the moment, like uh, everyone else has gone on vacation. And so, you know, I, uh, you sort of listen to this late at night and then you turn it off and then there'll be like, you know, just a clonk somewhere in your house. <laughs> Very normal sounds, uh, usually, but there are actually a number of stories in this season which are built on the premise of, yeah, it's normal to have sounds in your house at night, but not in this case. Uh-huh. Um, so that was a that was a pleasant experience. Yeah, I, I actually uh-huh. felt that when I got more scared by it, I think it left a more of a lasting impression on me. Like, so the episodes that I listened to, uh, I listened to the first episode late at night, the uh, Anglerfish, it's called. And I listened to an episode mm. called uh, The Upstairs Neighbor late at night, um, at, which is the one where the neighbor upstairs is making a meat-insulated uh, house. Um, and, and these two have really stuck with me a lot. And I don't think it's because they're significantly better or different to the other episodes. I mean, I, I think the first episode is probably one of the best, but um, even so, I think it is just because I, these ones actually scared me. And so they just stick in your brain more. Yeah, sure. Um, I, I think that's I think that's very true. Like some of them definitely influenced me more than others, and I think that I, if I think back, it's like, oh yeah, that was when I was alone in my house at night. Um, yeah, totally. I, I think the exception for that to me was um, episode fifteen, the cave, 
Um, mm. I I get a bit claustrophobic uh, at, at times, and that was basically an episode built around triggering claustrophobia, I think. Uh, so it didn't matter where I listened to that one. That one actually took me like a day and a half to get through, uh, cause I kept, I kept getting a few minutes in and then I was just like, no, nah, I can't, I can't. Um, that one just really got through to me. It was, it was very well, uh, like performed and written and, and I'm sure we'll, we'll touch on all that a lot more. Um, I, I do just want to backtrack a bit cause I, I had something I forgot to bring up before. Um, we're talking about like how they all connect, uh, the, the episodes a bit. I do want to say, I think that's some like a slight criticism I would have of the show is I think it's a bit too obtuse in how it reveals those connections. Like uh, often the episodes will open with uh, Jonathan reading the case number that he's dictating. And then later on in other episodes, he'll be like, "Mm, yes, this, you know, reminds me of case blah, blah, blah. And reads out the number again. And I I don't remember what the number was. (laughs) Yeah, of course. Um, can you could you just say like you know give us a one sentence summary of what it is as well? I just I just think if you're gonna call out in those cases that there is a connection, I think it might be a little bit better um, if you just spelled it out. Like I mean, well, it definitely rewards people who are getting crazy about it, but a lot of the time for me it was just a bit much. Even just having the case number in the episode title would really help, I think, <laughs> because then you could scroll through yeah. and be like, oh yeah, it's this, it's anglerfish or whatever. But if it's just you know, episode one anglerfish, and you have to start the episode to find out that it's case zero two three four one one six, it's kind of yeah. like you can't connect some of these dots. Um, right, and same like sometimes you know Jonathan would be like, hmm, that name sounds familiar, but I don't remember where from. And when I was like ten episodes in, that sort of thing was like, oh, cool, I can go back and re like refresh my memory on what these were and figure it out. And then like when you're about thirty in, it was just kind of like, oh. I don't know. I yeah. don't know where that's from. I'm sure it'll come up again. I'm sure he'll explain it to me eventually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And right. I think I, I, most yeah. most of the times it doesn't matter, but there are probably a few where it is quite important. I mean, the end of season one, it ends with one of the characters, Sasha, being replaced by something, some kind of monster. And uh, we kind of get hints at this. And then Jonathan says like, oh, and these two cases have gone missing. And looking those cases up, it's the ones where her voice appeared on the recording. The other two ones where she was involved in the recording. And it's it's the kind of detail that I think is actually probably important to get a hint at what's going on. Not not just like you can miss this one and it'll be fine. Although obviously I, I don't know how the rest of the show plays out. So maybe that's not true, but. Um, no, I think it's that thing where it will be explained more later on. Like these are Easter eggs or bonus clues. Um, I, I just think, I, I don't know, as someone who usually likes to chase all the bonus clues in this, in this story, they were sometimes a bit much of just like where I felt like I was stressing myself out trying to connect them all rather than just enjoying the story and enjoying the clues I was seeing. Yeah, I, I think I think that's interesting. I, I mean, there's there's something different about the like audio narrative format to me, where like for, for some reason, if I'm reading a book, I'm much more likely to remember like a very very specific detail. But mm. in these books, like I I it took me a long time to even like understand what this what the Magnus Archives was going to be, and thus realize I should be paying attention to names. Like they probably mentioned Jane Prentice like five times, where I was like, oh oh, this is the thing. This is a thing in the background of the story that's going to matter. Okay, I need to pay attention to this. Mm. Um, yeah. I think we got a bit lucky there because you primed us for that specifically. So I think both of us were 
we basically had our mental uh, corkboard and, and string out before mm-hmm. we even started, which definitely helped. Yes, and listening along to this with people on the Discord being like, oh, so what did you think of this bit? Or tell me when you get up to episode 32 or whatever. It, it, it really helped kind of make sure that we were catching things. Or I could, you know, after I listened mm. to the episode and Jonathan Sims would say, ah, now, why does that name sound familiar? I'd basically post in the Discord and say, hey, so is this name this person? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the the so before, you know, before I sat down with you guys, I was looking through the wiki and and just refreshing myself on what actually happens in season 1. Um the wiki's actually very very decent. Uh, I was going to say very good and then I realized that it it doesn't it doesn't make all the connections for you, but it it is pretty detailed. Um so it's nice once you've already uh, especially once you've already gone through the thing yeah. to go back and and look at it and then be like, "Oh, oh, okay." So it, because everything comes so so one thing like one thing I said when I sold this to to you and and one thing that I've said repeatedly about it is like it starts out really good the first episode is really good you, you, I think you agree yes and then it just yeah. kind of linearly gets better for 160 episodes which doesn't seem possible at any given point you're like well surely surely this is as good as it's going to get um and it and it just gets gets better I I find that really interesting because um. I like I was already thinking this and then Jonathan Sims actually directly addressed it in the season one Q&A that, that sort of finishes the season. Um, talking about how like f- for me, what usually happens in these sorts of like, uh, you know, continuous supernatural stories is the more you learn about the, the evil creatures and, and the rules of the world, uh, that's generally for me when the show starts to head downhill. Mm-hmm. Um, like I can think of, you know, X-Files, Supernatural, Buffy, like any of these things, it tends to be the more you start to learn about how the world works, um, there's just a bit of mystery taken out. And like, I, I'm assuming that 160 episodes in, you have a fairly stronger understanding of what's going on. Uh, so I'm interested to see how the show manages to keep itself, um, I guess, mysterious because the mystery is obviously what's driving a lot of it right now. Yeah. Yeah, uh, th- there there are certain reveals that I I as I was kind of thinking of the prescription, I was like, man, it's like really a shame that you're not going to get to this particular reveal because that's it's such a thing where um it w- it would provide something to hang that specific conversation on of of like why why is it that this show doesn't fall prey to a lot of the same issues that other shows do and and like why the conceit of it is as good as as it is, which um. Like I can't even talk about that yet. Um, so <laughs> I am excited for you to continue uh, to to get through it. I I had to give you the first uh, the first season as the, the the in order to set the hook basically. Um, and now that I've done so, the real work can begin. <laughs> Maybe let me um, give an example of something that I found in season one that felt similar to what you're describing, Matt. Which was I was thinking throughout most of the first three quarters of the season. Man, Jonathan Sims, why are you so skeptical in the face of what are clearly such obvious supernatural <laughs> phenomena? And this is kind of a like, especially sorry, especially since he has accepted that he believes in the supernatural, and he also knows that these are the cases that for some reason refuse to be digitized. Yes, so it's kind of like, <laughs> like come on, Jonathan, like what are you talking about? Yes, but but actually, in the finale of of season one, we have a conversation with him and one of his research assistants where he says like. I'm I'm I've got natural skepticism of course but actually I do believe in most of these things. I just think that 
if we do get embroiled in some of these supernatural cases, it's safer for people to think that I don't believe these things. And I'm like, man, that's a really good explanation. (laughs) Um, Mm. And I suspect Mm -hmm. that there are a few other things like that, that that answer some of these little niggling questions that could just be like, oh, it's the format, whatever, but actually there's a deeper reason there. Sure. I mean, there's all these different characters in the archives, right? And I'm not sure how developed they get in the first season, but um, I mean, you were, you were talking about Sasha already. Like, like there's mm-hmm. there, there's so much going on with all these with all these you know recurring characters, and um, I, I can genuinely say that every one of the I don't, I don't know what word to use the characters who are in the story but not in the statements um, they're all they're all great characters. I mean, the characters in the statements are great characters too. Uh, that's actually something I wanted to talk about. This this the fact that all the statements pretty much have like different unique and and really compelling characters and there's there's just a ton of them right it's it's really impressive yeah. i think as as like a as a storytelling thing yeah i think from a writing and and a performance perspective jonathan sims does a really good job yes, it's of pretty incredible the unique point of views like there are statements written you know by like a 20 year old girl and you almost forget that it's you know uh, the guy who wrote it just sort of reading it out like Mm -hmm. i start to believe that i'm listening to the narration of a 20 year old girl as it's going on and like i I think he yeah the way he captures it in the writing sense and in the performing sense are both really impressive Mm -hmm. yeah i i do think his his vocal work is excellent because i didn't really realize this until you get to the first point where he speaks as jonathan sims outside of you know a recording kind of next to each other but the the amount of personality that he's conveying through the changes in his voice as he reads this statement is it's incredible this he really does capture these characters as jonathan sims the real human being but also as jonathan sims the character in the magnus archives podcast yeah right which is funny because jonathan sims the character is also um he he's a fascinating protagonist to me uh because he's he's like kind of a he's just kind of a cowardly um uncertain asshole yeah he he is he, he's quite an asshole he, he's very rude to a lot of his co-workers and, and dismissive and um yeah i just i i think it's a fun it's a fun way to situate yourself when you're going into the to a, to a story like this he's not your typical like uh fox molder or whatever i don't think um, have you guys watched X Files? I think you you have, right? Yes, with uh, yes, yeah. X Files. Oh. Um, yeah. I I want to I want to touch on I think some of the strengths of these individual, not kind of meta narrative uh, episodes. You know, um, and mm-hmm. and I actually, as I was getting towards the end of season one, I kind of had this I don't know this uh, this ill feeling that with the sheer weight of all these dangling threads that are set up over the course of this story, it just wouldn't be satisfying regardless of how well it's executed um and that i think was uh was offset a bit by uh one of the answers that jonathan gives in the q a for season one where he says no it's i've got five seasons planned out and that's how long it's going to go and i hate shows where they just go on forever and i'm kind of like okay good there is a there's a, a a guiding principle here which is nice um but i did kind of feel some of the episodes i think uh, i don't know i i just felt there there are too many plot threads i think to to conceivably kind of keep track of and i suspect that some of the episodes would have worked better without needing you know connections to other episodes um 
possibly anglerfish is a pretty good example, I think. Uh, and of course, this is just my season one knowledge, but we, we listen to anglerfish and it's a, a pretty good standalone episode. And then there's this bit where, I can't remember, it's somewhere around episode 30, I think. Um, one of the characters, one of the names from the anglerfish story comes up uh, as a character in a story that takes place after it. And it kind of colors your thoughts on okay, well, who is this? If this is a person that was kidnapped by this anglerfish, whatever, a few years before this this event, what's happening now? What what's How does this relate? And it, it made that episode not land as well for me. The second episode, it didn't really change anglerfish, of course, but the second episode where I was kind of in my head thinking, how does this relate to the first, to the anglerfish episode? And it just, it just kind of... I think it softened the impact that this story could have had if it was just a standalone story. Uh, I, I want to respond to that, but just quickly, I think a plane just flew past you, Ruben, and it sounded eerily like some of the background music <laughs> they use in the Magnus archives. Um, that, that was a very weird moment hearing you, hearing you say that as the, as the sort of tone came in. Um, but I, I'd actually disagree just because that one with Sarah, I think it was Sarah Baldwin. Yeah, something like um, that. The thing is, is the there was a huge chunk of that episode dedicated to starting to establish almost this sense of competition between different supernatural entities. Yes. Um, and I, I, I think like you, you could definitely make the argument that what you wanted is just a standalone story. Um, but I think Sarah's involvement in that story was crucial because like uh, a big part of what it's setting up there is that there's conflict between these things. So having someone tied to a different one that we've already met um, matters for that. Mm. Maybe. The, yeah. I, I, it kind of, it, I, I obviously, I still enjoyed the episode, but it just, it didn't sit right with me in terms of, it felt like it was putting questions in my head that were just distracting me from the actual core thing that I was meant to be getting out of the experience, you know? I think uh, it, it is it is an interesting um, point because yeah I'm, I'm trying to turn everything into a meta statement but like um, at a certain point everything everything is going to pay off in a way where you're like oh I get it it all it all sure. came together yeah, yeah. Um, the question is was it valuable twenty episodes before that point for them to give you a little breadcrumb because there's the kind of people like the folks in the Discord who will absolutely take all of those breadcrumbs and make all of the possible connections that you could make in theory craft. And then there's the people like me who just blow through the whole thing to get to that re that reveal as soon as I possibly can. Um, bearing in mind that I, I, I do remember that there was this breadcrumb and I'm like, yeah, that probably means something. There's probably this connection, but it, but it's going to become more clear later. And so I mm -hmm. just keep going. Um, I don't necessarily feel like I would have enjoyed it more if that breadcrumb hadn't been there, but my whole stance toward... I think everybody has their own stance, I guess is what I'm saying. My stance is generally like, oh, okay, cool, it's it's connected. I'm sure that'll pay off later. And then I just like don't really think about it anymore, um, which is that, yeah, that's that's my approach. But I, yeah, I, th I think everybody kind of has their own their own their own way of uh, of ingesting media. So that's that's fair enough, I think. Mm. Yeah, yeah, maybe it just does come down to preference because there are other episodes. Uh, there's a link between two episodes that seem isolated at first glance. The first one is called Alone, uh, about a girl who is alone and goes into a kind of abyss-like uh, place. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and then it is linked back to with an episode later called uh, Boatswain's Call, which is kind of very thematically similar and then also 
has a direct tie through this family that's involved in both stories. Um, and that really worked for me quite well. I I don't know what it was about the those other two not gelling. Maybe maybe it was because they just felt thematically different. I, I'm not sure. I kind of can't put my finger quite on it, I, I don't think. I, I have a, a, a theory, <laughs> which is that I, I feel like it's possible that uh, real life Jonathan Sims is sitting there writing these episodes in you know uh with 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 uh candles burning and people chanting around him and, and what what have you um and then he gets to the end of like the statement and then he's like all right now i have to like work the statement into what's happening in the magnus institute and then mm. he does that and then he's like all right now i need to like make sure that i've woven all of the threads for this episode and that, and it just makes sense to me that like the last thing that he does would be applying the um making sure that he's dropping hints and making connections and so forth and and therefore it's it there's a good chance that it's going to feel like something that was tacked on because it literally mm. was just theory yeah it's possible for sure um i i, I mean i do sort of want to say as we're sort of talking about you know ruben you started saying how there are some that feel similar and stuff thematically like mm. i think Part of why I I loved this so much, despite having already watched so many other Monster of the Week sort of TV shows and stuff, some of these are so unique and cool. Like conceptually, there's so much variety here, and maybe that's why it'll still be going strong another 120 episodes in. Is like things like the anglerfish or the one where somebody just gets eaten by the sky. Yeah, freefall. Um, that's one of my favorite episodes. Yeah, like there's just there's so many things where. Like, even monster doesn't feel like the right word, but just, like, whatever the, the supernatural thing is in the episode, it's just so bonkers and and bizarre and unique that, like, I can't help but get super hooked into it. Yeah, sure. Yes, and, and even beyond that, like, there are ones where they tackle vampires, there's one where they tackle werewolves, and, and both of these are incredibly strong executions of tried and true you know, horror or supernatural creatures. Um, they're just incredibly mm. well done. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, a lot of my favorites are just like the Calliope. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Calliope or however. They, they made a joke about Americans pronouncing it wrong, but it, whatever. Um, like it's, it's, a, it's a music thing and it's, it's super creepy and, and you never yeah. really find out what the deal is with it. And that's perfect, right? It's, um, it doesn't, I, I don't, I don't need, like, I feel like a lot of, um, feel like a lot of monster of the week things make the mistake of like the episode with the calliope ending yeah. with like <laughs> a monster crawling out of the calliope and then having to fight the fight the monster and killing it with a stake it's like no no you don't get to find out what the deal is with the calliope somebody's dead now i think they mentioned that it's just in the archives as well which is somehow spookier because that means it's, <laughs> it's just around potentially still doing whatever weird shit it can uh -huh. do um yeah which which i like there's there's some sort of warehouse 13 uh type thing out the back which which is always fun when jonathan references uh things that are already in the archives actually i, I want to say that's that's part potentially mm -hmm. one of my favorite parts of the episodes is after the thing where jonathan adds like the supplementary notes <laughs> yeah uh to to the uh things like based on what uh sasha martin and tim have managed to drag up yeah, because it it makes it, it it connects it all to the to the meta narrative. So yeah, yeah. Well, and it adds a it adds even more mystery and and kind of grounds it in the current. Like some of these things that you'll be reading about like ten years ago, then 
for Jonathan to end it by saying, you know, we still never found the body or something, uh, just just you know adds adds to the the <laughs> horror of of this old story. Yeah, yeah. But I I just I feel like um I feel like Jonathan Sims as a writer really understands um understands mm. the genre right and 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 is not going to fall into the pitfalls that that annoy. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think anybody who's watched a lot of horror and, and enjoys that kind of thing knows exactly what they like and what they don't like about the genre. And, and I think he, he just has it absolutely dialed in. Uh, um, so at, at least as far as my preferences. There, go. I'm looking over the list of episodes now. And I think there's one episode that I didn't really like that much. And the rest I'm kind of like, these were all incredible, which is <laughs> of 40 episodes. That's pretty, that's a pretty great hit rate. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess one I, I, one little complaint I want to get out of the way, but I feel like it needs to be said. Um, and this is probably a bit hypocritical if you go back and listen to some old Media MD episodes, but the the volume mixing on this show <laughs> I, I kind of struggled with. Um, it was very quiet, and that's mostly only an issue because I found the ads quite loud, so I'd often hurt my ears when the ads came on at the end because um, I turned the volume way up to hear the tape recordings. Um, so I, I don't know that that it mm-hmm. seems like such a minor complaint, but um. It was just, it was a little bit annoying having to adjust the volume every time I was listening. I, I think I have one other thing I want to say mm-hmm. about it, which is I, I, I wonder whether the format gets in the way sometimes of the story. I think, I think there was one instance of this happening, which was as, as we get towards the end of the first season, the situation is basically that Jane Prentice, this crazy witch who is inhabited by a, demonic worm god um she starts uh basically sieging the the archives uh having her worms attack it every every so often um and they through all this they kind of have this weird business as usual mindset throughout the first few you know days or weeks of this siege where jonathan just goes into work and continues to kind of digitize some of these files as uh, a demonic worm entity is trying to attack their their building, which I, I think it made sense at the start of that when it was just like a worm would turn up every few days. But as things get to a head, I just found it, I felt, I had the suspicion that they felt like they needed to keep the format going as it was for a little bit longer so that they could get to some of the ending of the f- season. Uh, the, the final few episodes changed the format a bit. Um, but through like episode, you know, 35 or 36, it felt odd to me that they were conducting business as usual through the midst of some of this really crazy stuff going on. No comment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll, we'll hold off that one until we do the retrospective, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I agree a little bit. I, I remember questioning about 20 episodes in how how as this plot was evolving and it felt like there was a current plot how how do they keep that within the framework of jonathan reading out old statements and um i thought they did a really good job at the end of season one and i'm I'm interested to see where they go in the future i guess yeah i, I think i had my own um i i think i think at that point in the story i was just like that ah, whatever it's the conceit of the yeah. show like like it's it's an audio narrative like you you've got to have a tape recorder running for this <laughs> yeah. to work so yeah i guess we'll touch more on that uh after we've listened more to the show <laughs> yeah um i, I, I just want to so. say actually something something that kind of works in those background bits and and the, and with the whole tape recorder medium is the uh characterization of our four or five actually including um elias uh characters 
Like uh, for for the first three quarters of the season, almost all of our characterization of these others comes from either Jonathan kind of unprofessionally commenting about them during a recording session or them interrupting a recording session. So there's some great ones where like, you know, Sasha will just come in in the middle of an episode and have a conversation. And I, I think it was timed quite well that it didn't disrupt the flow of the actual story too much, but it felt like it tied into the overall narrative in a really fulfilling way and, and started to make me care about Sasha, Tim and, and Martin, even Martin. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Jonathan hates Martin so much. It's hilarious. Yeah, it's great. um yeah look there's a lot to enjoy about this show i i really do think that the level of writing and performance in it is of such high quality that even some of these other minor complaints really do get smoothed over by the sheer volume of excellent horror Mm. story that is in here yeah i mean we we wouldn't have both gotten through 40 episodes in a week or so if we didn't find a really really good right um and i i I mean this uh, yeah. mystery box that they've opened has me so gripped. Like, I'm so excited to see where this goes moving forward. Yeah. I, just to go, you know, maximally meta, like, isn't it, isn't it a clever way of doing storytelling to be like, okay, look, basically 20 to 30 minute bite size, basically one-offs, except they tie into the story. So if you didn't care for that one, there'll mm. be another one right after it, and it'll be quite different. Um, and, 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 you just get a constant chain of these. So like, I, I don't know if I know anybody who I've recommended this to who's just been like, nah, you know, like, like it's, it's very um, addictive <laughs> in, in a good way. Like it's just very cleverly like put together and, and, and organized and structured, I think as a, as a way of telling yeah, a story. Yeah. It's the kind of show where you just want to discuss it with people as well. Like I, I've already recommended it to maybe five mm-hmm. people just because I want more people to <laughs> talk about some of these things with as I experience it. Um, yeah. And, and, and I mean, yeah. we saw that from the other side on, on the doof discord as we were listening to it and people were um, like responding to every sort of message we put um, like you know i think it was about 30 episodes in when i started to develop like my grand my grand unified theory of the magnus archives and um and and just sort of instantly people started responding in spoilers i couldn't read um which is a good sign (laughs) yeah Yeah. i I wonder if you want to give your grand unified theory as of episode 40 just so that you can be amused yeah listen to it later um it hasn't actually really changed um with these last 10 episodes um I guess I, I, I kind of got the impression that this was sort of one of the themes that was running through this was like uh, fear is something that controls you. Um, and and so like, I think what's happening is there's these distinct groups of supernatural entities that are all themed on uh, like basic fears. So, you know, like there was the caver one, which was like claustrophobia. There was the guy who got eaten by the sky, which I think might be agoraphobia. Um there's a lot of stuff to do with hands and people getting body snatched in the same episode. So I'm thinking there's like a grabber or stealer group. Um, and, and basically these groups are all sort of competing for, for control over humanity by seeding their base fear in more people. Cause they, they either seem to be attacking people who don't have the fear or people who are already terrified of it and these are the ones who they get they usually let spare and or or to kill and validate their fears like the um was it the spider person who then 
Jonathan Sims is like, oh, you know, it's probably nothing, but they were found dead covered in webs. Which, come on, Jonathan, <laughs> like, let's be real. Yeah. <laughs> um, but as if that didn't seed, like, you know, a bit of arachnophobia in people in world. So that that's sort of what I was thinking. Like, I was trying to build this, I was trying to cluster all the episodes I'd listened to and build, like, a list of distinct groups. Like, obviously, Jane Prentice and all the, the bug-related ones would be um, some sort of group built around... Uh, bugs or you know fear of creepy crawlies awesome that's delightful <laughs> I, I can see that you you have your your throat your your yarn and your pins out and you've constructed a, an elaborate yeah um, that was definitely part of the process absolutely there was a moment listening to the first season where i genuinely considered getting a cork board just so i could start tracking some of these connections um, <laughs> the thing i like about your theory elliot is it it to take it to a meta layer it means that s- Jonathan Sims is now disseminating scary stories about these fears that want to be, you know, disseminated and scare more people, which presumably means that the Magnus Institute is playing a somewhat active role in this, in this uh, spreading yeah. of these horror stories. Well, as you brought up there, this, they're funded by the Lucas family who are involved in two things that both had to do with people getting really isolated. So that might be some sort of loneliness. They might be part of some loneliness group. Yeah. Um, but, like, they're, they're, I mean, there is the weird distortion, so I don't know if maybe secrecy is. I mean, Michael, the who is part of, like, the grabbing uh, body snatching group, he was complaining that the, the Hive group um, that the Jane Prentice is part of is too rash. So there seems to be some bigger plan that I don't know if that really fits with what I'm thinking, but... Um, I, I really like that as a, as a, something that ties in with Jonathan as well. Cause he's someone who is a bit of a coward, but likes to pretend he isn't. And, and he, you know, tries to be very skeptical. And so I think the idea of, I think he's something who, he's someone who is a lot more controlled by his fear than he realizes. And so I, I'm interested to see if that goes anywhere. Good stuff. Ruben, do you have a grand unified theory? <laughs> um, do I have a grand unified theory? I, I, I suspect I probably haven't dived into it as much as I could have. Like, I think there's more that I could do to, to, um, to explore some of these connections. A fun idea I thought was, uh, uh, Jonathan mentions towards the end of the first season that he wants to make sure that he records a lot of stuff so that the next archivist who comes after him, um, as he came after Gertrude, wouldn't be so in the dark. Uh, and so now I'm, I started questioning the meta narrative of this show and thinking like, Hey, maybe I, as the audience member, <laughs> am now the next archivist and I'm here kind of listening I through these that. old recordings to try and figure out what happened, which isn't really a unifying theory, but it, I, I feel like it would be a cool little Could we just state format, for the record, you know, twist. there's absolutely no way Gertrude was this bad at her job. Like, this is clearly some supernatural fuckery shenanigans. Someone messed up all her ordering like i that just i've never believed that from episode one that he wa- he walked in and it was like oh this is such a shambles <laughs> she clearly didn't do her job and it's like there's there's a conspiracy here and and jonathan i think is maybe finally starting to see that in general well I, it's crazy to me because being the archivist of the magnus institute would be the most fun job in the world it's a combination of listening to spooky stories and overhauling filing systems, which I think are the two funnest things in the world. So the idea that someone wouldn't enjoy this job <laughs> yeah, and wouldn't absolutely. take it seriously is crazy to me. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, I think a central part of, of Jonathan's character is that he's got his head up his ass, like as far as it'll go. And, and he, he doesn't, he doesn't like want to find out this stuff. Um, and so, yeah, he, he, he avoid, that's why it takes him the whole first season to like, it takes, it takes a worm woman like b- bursting through his wall for him to, you know, accept that something <laughs> Admit, weird's going yeah. on. Yeah. I, I will say like they, they capture the essence of academic snobbery <laughs> very well in Jonathan Sims. He, absolutely reads like some of the professors i've met who uh you know believed that their field mm-hmm. was the only totally. thing that yeah. matters and everyone else is idiots <laughs> right. i like i like the difference between real jonathan sims and then he does his jonathan sims voice and it's like <laughs> ah, yes. I, I see i see exactly what you're going for it. yeah um <laughs> that was a fun part of the q a was hearing his real voice and being yeah. like oh wow there's a real person on the other side of this <laughs> <laughs> yeah I just wish he hadn't named a character after himself because now whenever I say mean things about the character Jonathan Sims, I feel I feel like I'm saying mean things about the person Jonathan Sims. But I only know him from the Q and A. He seems like a very nice guy. He wrote he wrote and acted in this. He's a very talented guy. Yeah. Oh, I, f- I find him upsettingly talented. Mm. Um, it's it it, it yeah like uh, yeah D- definitely uh, amazing amazing that he's been able to both write and do the voice acting. It's very very impressive, especially considering. Like I'm assuming each season, considering season one references 2016 as like kind of current, that means he's he's averaging about a season a year, which is crazy because they're 40 episode seasons. So that's 40 weeks on, 12 ish weeks off. Um, that's an insane that's an insane rate to to go at. He's actually if you look at the first um. I don't know if it's the first season or the first two seasons or what exactly. I looked this up and then I've now forgotten it. But um, the the episodes were released twice a week for the first big stretch. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, and I don't know if they what had what kind backlog. of maniac would release two episodes of their podcast a week. I feel like they must. <laughs> well, <laughs> but I feel like they must have had a backlog, right? <laughs> yes, I mean, do you agree? <laughs> maniac. No, yes. I think so. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But um, yeah. I mean, really, really impressive. Um, just like like that that's the thing about it like if if this were made by you know a studio you'd be like oh yeah this this is great but like knowing it's it's not made by one guy literally like the a a lot of talented people are involved but the the what what this one guy brings to it as the writer and like basically sole actor like you know he he would have been 90 percent of the voice work in this it's it's really Mm -hmm. impressive yeah yeah I think I can sum up my general feelings towards this show by saying I I enjoyed it so much, even though there were bits that I I kind of thought in my head, oh, I, I, this didn't sit quite right with me. The level of trust I have in Jonathan Sims or Rusty Quill or whoever is the entity behind it, the level of trust I have that this is going to be a show worth my time to listen to, you know, 200 episodes of is so high just based on this first season and in part the Q&A mm. after it that I'm I'm very keen to stick with it just because I know okay even if I do have some qualms that aren't you know overturned or addressed throughout the course of the show I know I'm going to enjoy it so much anyway yeah that Q&A was such a valuable part of finishing season 1 for me especially cuz season finishing season 1 was a bit of a milestone for us cuz that was where we drawn the line for for this recording and then to listen to the Q&A and basically Almost everything Jonathan says in that, I was just like, yep, 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 yep. And and he starts talking about where he's going with it. And I was like, yep, okay, yes, I agree. Uh, that got me so, 
like it, it relieved me of any concerns I had about going forward. Like just based on the impression he gave in that Q and A, I was like, yeah, this seems to be heading in a really good direction or, or the direction I want it to be heading in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, awesome. I mean, I hope I hope you guys do finish it, and, and it'd be cool if you did another, you know, follow up show. Um, I'd absolutely love that. Yes, I think uh, the audience is there for it. <laughs> yeah. At the very least, we'll have to talk about it in our annual checkup. And if we do that, um, we'll have to try and get you in for that segment, at least. Awesome. Sounds good. Yeah. Thank you for bringing it to us. It was great. Uh, We've got to give it a number out of 10. And I think I'm going to go with nine and a half. Damn it. I've got to stop letting you go first for these. Um, (laughs) Fuck you, Elliot. (laughs) uh, Yeah. I I was going to go for nine and a half as well, which I think puts it right up there. I think Worm might be the only other thing that... Uh, has gotten that score on this podcast, which obviously is, uh, you know, good, good competition Holy to be sitting shit, alongside. Guys. I'm so happy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I think you described it like this, Matt, as saying it's the kind of thing that just consumes your brain, like <laughs> yes. Worm did when I first read it. You know, like packed like the Wild Boy stories, and now that's become a huge part of my life. And I can kind of see that also happening with this, which is kind of daunting. Okay, yeah, I I intentionally never compared it to Worm when I recommended it to people <laughs> because I didn't want to be like, oh, it's similar to this thing that you know I think is the best goddamn thing in the world, um, and that and that you probably do too. If we're having this conversation, um, I I because uh, that would be overselling, and yeah. I try to avoid overselling. Um, but yes, I uh, I I it basically struck me about that hard. Um, yeah. So yeah. I, I agree. I think I said this about 20 episodes in. I was like, the most frustrating thing about the Magnus Archive to me is I'm pretty sure as soon as I finish it, I'm going to have to go back and listen to the whole thing again. So it's not <laughs> its not only 200 times 25 minutes of my life, it's 400 times 20 minutes uh, of my life. Well, I haven't re-listened yeah. to it, um, if, that, if that helps. <laughs> I think I'll wait yeah. till it finishes. If it's only, you know, about a year away from finishing from the sounds of it, mm-hmm. I, think, um, I think I'll probably feel the need to do a re-listen um like a couple of months after that like i did with worm mm-hmm. yeah yeah fair enough i'm gonna go listen to more of it right now <laughs> All right. thanks matt um yeah You're thank welcome. you for coming on matt it, it was really a great a great thing to be introduced to so i'm really happy that you came on the show well yeah i appreciate the invitation i'm so glad you guys enjoyed it so enough about the magnus archives let's talk about what we'll be talking about next fortnight um, and this time I'm bringing you something, Elliot and Matt. You can just stay over there. That's fine. Um, so, Elliot, I'm bringing you a show called Mind Hunter. Have you heard of this at all? Um, vaguely, it's on Netflix, right? Yes, and it's, it's, an, a, it's a Netflix it's a, original. It's about serial killers or something. Yes. So, I guess the the backstory to this show is it's based off of a book uh, called Mind Hunter: Inside the FBI's Elite Serial Crime Unit. Um, this is a book written by a guy called John Douglas who was one of the founders of this unit inside the FBI that was responsible for really putting together a lot of what we now know about serial killers, serial murderers. Um, they, as serial killers started becoming a thing in the more modern day, uh, this was really a new type of criminal. And so the FBI needed to put together a new kind of group to start uh, investigating these types of crimes, and John Douglas was one of the first criminal profilers who who helped build this unit. I, I think I remember reading years ago, wait, and maybe this is the same guy, because I, I read years ago, there was like a really long article sort of briefly going over the history of, yeah, the, the people who started this FBI, like, or, or basically 
started the trend of developing psychological profiles for yes. people. Like it was um it was kind of laughed off by a lot of people that you yes. could psychologically profile people like this. And I, I it's been so long ago I don't remember the details, but I, the idea of the article stuck with me because it was so cool. Yes, and that's uh, it's probably the same uh, group. Uh, John Douglas yeah. was one of the pivotal figures there, and and the show is a kind of. I guess it's it's kind of like a mix between true crime and also like a dramatized version of the story of these people. Um, okay. Although the characters in the show are not like one to one mirrors to the actual people that existed. Um, so the main character Holden Ford is is more or less based on jo- John Douglas, and then his partner uh, Bill Tench is kind of an amalgam of two other people and and it's kind of that's the the star that it goes with so it doesn't necessarily stick 100% to the facts of these people's lives it kind of dramatizes their personal lives and plays it relatively as far as i can tell close to the truth with the way that uh, some of their initial cases unfolded and stuff like that so so based on a true story yes definitely um yeah, definitely okay. lets itself be more dramatized to allow the personal lives of these characters to have more n- kind of nice thematic parallels with the stories <laughs> that they're investigating, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, so they've taken an artistic license, basically, with the truth. Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, so, have you ever seen the movie Zodiac, Elliot? No. Okay, it's this great, it's one of my favourite movies, it's this great movie, it's got uh, Robert Downey Jr., it's got Jake Gyllenhaal, it's got Mark Ruffalo in it, it's basically about the, the uh, San Francisco Zodiac killer and the people that were trying to catch them. Um, this is a movie directed by David Fincher, who is kind of the exe- an executive yeah. producer of this show and very uh, definitely like helped get it made. He put his name on it. He directed four episodes of season one. Um, and I, I found a quote about this show that I really liked saying, the 10 episode first season is so in tune with Fincher's sensibilities that it plays almost like a TV series version of Zodiac. That's from a Collider article <laughs> about David Fincher's involvement in the show. And I think it, it sums up I th- why this show is so great, because it is, it's a serialized drama about these people's lives, but also about the foundation of this really interesting, like this really interesting part in criminal history um, that is di- just directed in a very, very uh, incredibly strong way, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And because obviously, you know, I'm assuming it follows a general sort of case of the week or case of the episode since it's on Netflix sort of structure um no um, it doesn't it, but, it doesn't it, it's no. more of a arc long story than it is a case of the week um usually there's a yeah, okay. serial killer that they are more or less interacting with f- over the course of the arc uh, uh sorry of the season um a kind of main serial killer that is you know a real case um yeah and then it it, it actually most of the time is more about their workplace drama and their personal lives than it is like solving a crime every week, you know? Yeah. Well, cause I like, like when I, when I was working off the assumption, it was going to be a sort of a serial killer of the week type thing. I was sort of comparing it in my head to, you know, the myriad of crime of the week, uh, yes. like shows that are out there. And I was thinking at least the, the idea of these people trying to define serial killers and start this whole way of tackling these sorts of crimes would be a more interesting through line rather than, you know, whatever, dumb shit they put in some of the other ones <laughs> no the thing is it more or less is a drama about their kind of workplace and interpersonal conflicts more than anything else um which mm. i think <laughs> I, i'm glad i didn't lead with that because it makes it sound a bit more boring than it is but it's, it's <laughs> genuinely so 
it's so incredible. Like, it's such a great show. I, I, I found it and I just immediately fell in love with it. Um, the, the writing is incredible. The, the directing is incredible. It gives you the same sense of like tension that, that movies like, uh, like Silence of the Lambs will give you in these interactions with these serial killers who are, you know, played by some really incredible actors. Um, the, the main character is played by Jonathan Groff, who Media MD alums oh, yeah. might remember from 36 Questions and Hamilton and if, Frozen, a few other things. Um, yeah. And he, he does incredibly well. This is the first, like, full-on dramatic role I've ever seen him in, and he is brilliant. He's so I, I was, good. I was about to say, this, this isn't a musical, right? No, it's not, it's not ever, a musical That's all I've ever way. seen or heard him in. No. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I, I really do think you'll like this because it is a a very interesting subject matter. Like, the concept of, the you know, criminal profiling being developed um, is fascinating in the way they go about it. And it is mm. also just really strong uh, character-driven drama, really strong acting, with a really good backdrop of, you know, figuring out what serial killers are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, you know, we've had shows, you know, like uh, this is going back to a more weekly format, but, like, The Good Wife was really a drama with some legal cases yes. tacked on and this sounds like it's just solid drama with serial killers tacked on yeah um, i i don't think tacked on is the right wording though because it is like yeah fair. The, the personal kind of struggles of these characters is so closely linked to their work um and <laughs> it's probably not a spoiler to say they're all people who throw themselves very wholeheartedly into their work and that causes some <laughs> issues as well um but yeah you'll 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 see more as we as you watch it, I suppose. Um, so I'm I'm just still thinking, like when I when you said Jonathan Groff's in it, and I was thinking it might be a musical. Yeah. Like, are there are there serial killer musicals apart from um? Oh, what was that one? Hmm. What's that one set in London with what's his face? Johnny Depp was in a version of it. Oh, uh, Sweeney Todd. Yeah, that's it. That's a serial killer musical. Uh, I mean, Heather's is kind of a serial killer musical, right? (laughs) Yeah, that's fair, that's fair. Okay, Um, never mind. I was going to say that's an untapped market, but actually actually it seems to be fairly well covered. I'm sure there are more. I mean, there's a... Fuck, what's the one with the big plant? The big evil plant? You know what I'm talking about. Come on, don't do me like this. Uh, No, I... A little shop of horrors. It's a little shop of horrors. Anyway. I don't know what that is. (laughs) Okay. We're getting off topic here. This is completely not a musical, (laughs) which is very weird seeing Jonathan Groff in this and being like, Wait, but Jonathan Groff does musicals. <laughs> What's going on here? He's just he's just one of those kinds of people that is incredibly multi talented and you look at him and you think, Why did he get all the good stuff? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean well I guess that's the thing. If he's doing like if you're doing musicals and stage plays and stuff, I don't see why most of those skills wouldn't translate to just normal acting. Like it's yeah. basically kinda of, in a lot of ways the same thing. Like the same transition from theatre to like television or movies but without the need to sing like so yeah. it makes sense like he's got all the skills he'd need yeah fair enough i think that's a fair point um but yeah I, i'm pretty sure you're gonna love this show uh there's two seasons of cool. it currently out each season came about like two or three years apart so the third season is going to happen but it's just <laughs> kind of a question of when yeah <laughs> okay cool well um i look forward to it yeah um so i guess that's our show for today uh if you would like to leave us your thoughts on mindhunter the best place to do that is by tweeting at us uh, you can find our twitter at uh media MD podcast yes uh you can also hit us up via email uh at well, media MD podcast at gmail.com um and leave us a review on itunes while you're there just do it 
Yeah, while you're there, why not? Um, if you want to head on over to our old website, MediaMTPodcast.com, you can also send us a voicemail. Uh, sometimes listeners will suggest a show for us and we'll check it out. If you'd like to do that, uh, go to that website, MediaMTPodcast.com. Or mm-hmm. did I talk about sending us an email at MediaMTPodcast at gmail.com? You can do that too. I, I did that. Oh, whoops. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh yes uh and if you if you're sick of media md and you want to hear about other great shows on the doof network like deep impact uh head on over to doofmedia.com mm-hmm. um or even better patreon.com forward slash doof media where you can see all the bonus perks you get for uh helping support the network and keeping these shows alive yeah there are a number of really great bonus perks but of course the best perk of all is just supporting some shows that you really like um deep impact our other show only really exists because uh, well, there's only, I think it's fair to say, the amount of effort that goes into doing two to three podcast <laughs> episodes a week is really helped by having people who not just care about the show, but support it financially. Um, Absolutely. And it, it means that we're willing to do things like All Packed Up, the 24-hour live stream that we're doing at the end of Deep Impact. Um, yeah. Which, yeah, actually we should talk about, because I don't know if we've talked about it on MediaMD before. No, we haven't. Media uh, Deep Impact is coming to an end in about a month, a month and a half, two months. Um yeah. And to celebrate it, we're going to do a 24 hour long live stream where we do a variety of packed themed activities. Uh, if you haven't read Pact before, there's still time to catch up. You could read maybe two to three chapters a day and you'll catch up, which sounds like a lot, but it's hard to read less than that once you get hooked on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'd worth keeping pace like with Bobbo's writing for an insane reason, like we did. Uh, it's, it seems like a book that you could get through very quickly. Yes. Um, I think I read it in about a week and a half the first time. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, check it out if you haven't uh, and tune in for the live stream on March 7th for 24 hours. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, for more information on all of these things, you can head to doofmedia.com uh, where you can find our Twitter, all the stuff we mentioned, as well as all the previous clues for the Media MD ARG. You can help us figure out just who is Dr. MD and why are his mystical books so enthralling? Elliot, why don't you tell the listeners this fortnight's clue? Um, repetition. Repetition, and we'll see you next fortnight.